one thing that attracted so many people to Jesus was his ability to talk about deep spiritual truths in a fairly simple way. Using things that people found commonplace, things they could identify with. So I want to tell you a story this morning. It's not a story I made up. It's a story from the Bible. It's in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. And I could read it to you, but I would rather tell it to you. It's a story about grace. Grace is one of those things that uh, is hard for a lot of people to grasp because it's, there's not a lot of it in this world. In fact, without God, there is no grace. And so I think this story in the fourth chapter of John gives us a perfect picture of what grace looks like in action. And I hope through hearing this story, you can discover a, a greater sense of God's grace in your own life. One day Jesus and his disciples were traveling. They were going from the southern part of Israel called Judea to the northern part of Israel called Galilee. And in between Judea and Galilee is Samaria. And Jesus got to a town called Sychar. And the Bible says it was about the sixth hour of the day, which, by the way, Jews reckon time, it was noon. They start their day at 6 a.m., so the sixth hour would be at noon. He was tired. They'd been walking all morning. And he was hungry because it was lunchtime. So Jesus sat down by the well and sent his disciples into town to get some food. Now he didn't just stop by the well because he was tired, nor did he send away his disciples because he was hungry. He did it because he had a divine appointment with a woman who was about to come to draw some water from the well. I want you to think for a moment about that phrase, divine appointment. What that means is that God is orchestrating some connection in your life with another person that he wants you to have. I can't tell you how many times someone's been on my mind, someone's on my heart, maybe I'm praying for that person, and then I'll go to the grocery store. And who should I run into? That person. And that it gave me an opportunity to let them know, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. I can't tell you how many times I've had it in my mind, I need to call somebody. I really need to connect with them. But for whatever reason, I don't. I'm, I'm busy, I, I keep putting it off. And then my phone rings. And who do you think it is? <laughs> that person. I'm driving down the road and I'm going past somebody's house and I have no intention of stopping. I have no particular reason to talk to that person. But I just feel this overwhelming sense, you're supposed to stop here now. And I do. And they look at me with surprise on their face and say, how did you know I wanted to see you? 
and I want to say I'm just that good. That's why. But I don't. <laughs> I mean, I tell them, I don't have a clue <laughs> why I'm here. I just felt the need to. And then, then I knew because they needed to talk to me. See, those are divine appointments where the Spirit of God working in us and through us and around us brings connections together that ordinarily might not happen. And that's what's happening in this story. Jesus is by the well. He sends his disciples away because he needs to have a, a private conversation with the person who's about to come. And sure enough, about noon, along comes a woman carrying her water jug to fill it from the well. Now, in those days, villages had communal wells. Uh, usually just one, unless it was a, a really large village. They just had one well, and all the ladies would come. Now, normally, the women would come about, oh, I don't know, 9 or 10 in the morning. They would come in the cool of the day. They'd bring their water jugs, and it would be kind of a social event. The women would all come out of their homes about the same time, carrying their jugs, and they would go together to the well, and as they're filling their jugs from the bucket in the well, they would talk together. You know, well, how's the family? How are your grandkids doing? You know, normal socializing that takes place all the time. So it's a little odd that it's now noon, it's getting to, to be hot, and here comes a woman all by herself to the well. Well, Jesus knows why she's coming at noon alone to the well. She has a reputation. As the story unfolds, uh, she will tell Jesus that she's had five different husbands, and the man she's currently with is not her husband. And while in our society today that might not cause a second look in, in those times, those were serious problems. She was considered a sinner with a capital S at the front. And the other women, when she would come to the well in the morning with the other women, they would get together and she would be the object of their conversation. They looked down on her. They treated her with disdain. Uh, she felt humiliated with the guilt and shame of her sin. And finally, she decided it's just not worth it. I don't want to deal with this every day. So she would let the other woman go to the well in the morning. She would wait till noon and go alone because no one was there except on that day someone was there Jesus which would have been okay except he spoke to her now men didn't speak to women they didn't know in public in those days and as we would find out later in the story Jesus was a Jew and she was a Samaritan and the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other actually most of it was on the Jews yeah. Samaritans had intermarried with people who were non-Jewish they had stopped observing all of the laws of Moses they had stopped following all the practices 
of, of the Jewish people. And so they were considered outcasts. They were considered the black sheep of God's family. And, and they just didn't want anything to do with them. They didn't associate with them. In fact, the animosity got so great between the Jews and the Samaritans that when they were going from the south to the north or from the north to the south, instead of passing straight through Samaria, they would go around the long way. Just so they, I, I don't want to have to meet any of them. I don't want to have to talk to any of them. But Jesus didn't pay attention to such things. He wasn't into labeling people. He didn't care if you were Jew or Samaritan. He didn't care what your race, what your culture, what, what your ethnicity. He didn't care if you were male or female. None of that mattered. All that mattered to Jesus is that this person is a child of God. Someone he created, someone he loves, and someone that I have a divine appointment with. So when the woman gets there, I can imagine Jesus just sat there quiet for a moment and she kind of looked at him funny. Why, why is he sitting at our well? He's obviously not from here. He's not part of our village. She fills her water jug quietly and then Jesus speaks. Can I have a drink? <laughs> Such a simple request. He's thirsty. She's got a full jug of water. Can I have a drink? But for the reasons I just told you, it was an inappropriate request. He wasn't supposed to speak to her, and he really wasn't supposed to speak to a Samaritan. And she didn't know how to answer. And so Jesus went on. He said, you know, if you were to ask me, I would give you living water. I want a drink of your water for my physical thirst. I could give you something for the thirsty soul that is within you. And she's not really sure what to, to do with that. He sure sounded like somebody that was kind of a prophet. Maybe a religious leader, maybe a priest, a rabbi. But if he were, he wouldn't be talking to me. A Samaritan woman. A known sinner. So who is he? Jesus went on to explain. He said, not only am I offering you this living water, uh, but you know, this doesn't end. The water you draw from the well, it's going to run out. You've got to come back tomorrow and do it all over again. But the water that I'm offering you, this living water, it's going to become a spring within your life. And it will keep generating itself. In other words, he was giving her a glimpse of eternity. I can put eternity in your grasp. But before she could receive his gift of new life, she had to deal with the baggage of her past. So Jesus very calmly says, well, why don't you go get your husband? He knows she doesn't have one. He knows she's had several. 
And she feels like her sin, her guilt, her shame disqualifies her from grace. In her mind, she thought, well, this is the end of this conversation. <laughs> as soon as he finds out who I really am, if he were to go into town and ask people about me, that would be the last time he would ever speak to me because I am not worthy of, of any of this that he's talking about. It's too late for me. I've sinned too much. I'm disqualified from grace. And so she's honest with him. She admits her sin before him and assumes that's the end of the conversation. But it's only then that the conversation really begins. Jesus continues to talk with her, and she realizes, you know, the things that this man is saying and the way that he is saying it and the fact that he's saying it to me makes me think of the long-awaited Messiah. We, we believe that someone is coming who's going to change this world and bring people back to God. We've hoped and prayed for him a long time. Except when he comes, he won't receive me. He won't love me. He won't care about me because I'm a sinner. And she shares some thoughts with Jesus about the long-awaited Messiah. And she almost dropped her water jug and spilled it on the ground when Jesus looked at her with love in his eyes and he said, I who speak to you am he. Now I realize that's kind of awkward. <laughs> that's probably not what you would say. If you walked in the room and said, I'm looking for Roger. And I stepped up to them and said, I who speak to you am he. You know, you'd go, what is that? What Jesus is saying is, it's me. The one you seek, the one you long for, is standing right here in front of you. You talk about blowing your mind. The Messiah is... Wait, the Messiah can't be here. This is Samaria. <laughs> the Jews claim the Messiah is coming to the temple. Why? He won't be in Samaria. If he was, he wouldn't be at my village. And if he was, he sure wouldn't be talking to me. Would he? Is there any way this could actually be true? That the man standing in front of me, offering me new life, is the one who can actually give it to me? She was at that crossroads point. You know, everybody comes to that point in their life where you make a decision. Do I believe Jesus? Do I not? Do I follow Jesus? Do I not? Do I neglect the grace of God that is offered to me or do I not? And this woman looked at Jesus and decided, I will. 
And I love this part. It said she set down her water jar and ran back into the village. Now the practical side of me says, why didn't she take it with her? She's going to have to come back and get it. <laughs> why did she leave the water jar sitting there? You know why I think she left it there? Because that represented for her her old life. Every day I come at noon avoiding people because of my sin and I fill this water jug. And when she set that jug down, she said, no more. I want what you have to give. And even though I know I'm not worthy of it, I don't believe I should ever have it. I'm accepting the fact that you want to give it to me. You are the Christ, the Messiah. And she sets down that water jug, and she runs into town. Now imagine this. These are the very people she's avoided. These are the very people she goes to the well at noon not to have to deal with. And she runs from house to house, and she bangs on the door. Ethel! Ethel, are you in there? Who is it? It's me. Oh, I don't want to talk to you. You've got to come out here. You've got to go to the well. The Messiah is here. And she runs to the next door, beats on the door, runs to the next door, beats on the door. Pretty soon, everybody's a buzz. They're all outside going, what is wrong with this woman? But they couldn't deny the fact that something had changed. She's been avoiding us <laughs> for years. And now... She's running to us and talking to us and telling us this news. I, I don't believe it because it's too, it's too hard to believe. It's too good to be true. But something's happened. Let's go to the well and find out. And when they go out to the well, they talk to Jesus. They hear about Jesus' offer of new life. And they too choose to believe. The greatest evangelist in the town of Sychar in Samaria was a sinful woman who nobody wanted to talk to. And yet she was responsible for the whole village coming to Christ. Did any of you get to see Billy Graham's funeral? Anybody see it on TV? I, I saw it by accident. I, I didn't know when it was on. I'm, I'm flipping through channels. I believe it was Friday night, and they were doing a rebroadcast of it. And what channel do you think I found Evangelist Billy Graham's funeral on? You think it was one of those Christian channels that they have? No. It was on C-SPAN, our government channel, where they show Senate hearings and, and, and debate on legislation and, and talk about all these government things. They are broadcasting a preacher's funeral. I looked twice to make sure it was C-SPAN. Really? This is C-SPAN? And in the front row of Billy Graham's funeral, there's President Donald Trump, there's Vice President Mike Pence. When's the last time a president spoke at a preacher's funeral? I don't know. 
and I, I just was kind of taken in by the, the fact that this man had changed our entire nation and impacted our entire country for Christ. And even though this world has turned its back on so much of our faith and turned away from the church and turned away from Christian teaching and biblical truth, it seemed like for a moment they forgot that and said, we are going to honor this man. We, we may not believe in everything he stood for, but we are going to pause to honor this man. And then there was a, a sense of, what are we going to do now? There's not going to be another Billy Graham. The climate in this country has changed to a point that he would not be able to do now what he was able to do for so many decades. Who's going to pick up that torch? Who's going to win this world for Christ? Who's going to keep this country looking to God if it's not him? You know what the answer to that question was? We are. The church today. We're it's going to take all of us to pick up that mantle. We have to be willing to do what the woman at the well did. To set down our old ways of life. To allow Christ to make us new. To give us springs of living water within us. And then we have to go. And let people know that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a picture of grace. Grace that we all need. Grace that we all want. And through Christ, grace that we can all receive. Let us pray. God, I thank you for this story. It's not my story, it's your story. It's a story of grace. It's a story of how you touched the life of one woman and through her touched the life of an entire village. And we want that to be our story, Father. Each and every one of us need and want your grace. We want forgiveness. We want new life. We want to have eternity in our grasp. And that is only possible through you. And I pray that once we've received it, once we've grabbed hold of it, once that spring of living water is alive and flowing within us, that we will not rest until we have done what Billy Graham did, that we have used every ounce of our strength, of our energy, every bit of our resources and abilities to let the world know that you who speak to us am he that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. For it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.
Christmas.